All right. At this time, uh, we get to celebrate a baptism together here at Encounter Church. And uh, we do this uh, regularly every now and again. And every time that we do, we always get uh, the same few questions um, that come in or just curiosities, kind of emails and phone calls that just ask um, at a very basic level, what's going on here uh, at baptism? And just a few questions more specifically that we flesh out about that is um, when we baptize, um, first question is, when we baptize, why do we use um, water? Answer for that, very simply, is that because water paints such a beautiful image about what's going on, is that in just a few moments when Olivia Grace uh, comes up here, uh, we're going to pour water over her head as a sign and as a seal about what God is doing in her life. Not only just speaking the first word, but God is is washing away, as it says in that Reformed tradition that Pastor Brian uh, mentioned already. God is washing away, um, just as water washes away the dirt from her body, so too does the blood of Jesus Christ wash away, as it says, all her soul's impurities, in other words, uh, all of her sins. So water, because it's such a perfect image about what's going on, not just physically, but spiritually inside of her. Uh, other question that might come up is, but Olivia is so small, she's so little. I mean, she can do absolutely nothing on her own. Wouldn't it be more prudent to wait a little bit so she can make a decision uh, for herself? And we say, you know, that we want to respect other traditions, and there's a lot of people that come from different places, but here at Encounter, why we love to baptize such small people, infants even, like Olivia, is because her being such a small infant is the perfect picture about what's going on. Because after all, we believe that as we come before the throne of God, we have just as, as little to offer to Jesus Christ uh, as Olivia does. Even though she's so helpless and so small at a spiritual level, we're all in the same boat along with her. And so it's God always constantly speaking the first, her, first word. As he speaks the first word into our lives, he speaks into the, the first word into her life as well. And lastly, we just want to tell you that this is an invitation an invitation for those of you who have been baptized to recall, again, every time that we do this, to bring f- to the forefront of your mind just one additional time that God has spoken the first word already and claimed you as part of his family. It's an invitation to remember that. It's an invitation to explore. What does baptism mean for you? Maybe you didn't grow up in this tradition. Maybe, maybe you've never been baptized before. If that's the case, I'd love for you to talk to either me or Pastor Brian anytime this week or after the service because this is God maybe speaking or whispering the first words right now. Um, at this time, I want to invite um, Olivia Grace uh, Musk forward with her parents, of course, uh, Val and Alan. Come on forward, guys. And if you could stand uh, right over here behind the uh, table. And I just want to ask you a, uh, a few questions this morning. Uh, questions that you've heard before, questions that we'll, uh, we'll continue to bring up uh, time and time again. But uh, first of all, as her parents, uh, Val and Alan, uh, do you believe that Jesus Christ uh, died on the cross to save us from our sins? Next, do you believe that Olivia Grace, though small and I'm sure precious, and I haven't heard her cry yet, but I hear it happens, uh, (laughs) do you believe that she is in need of the grace that Jesus offers? In other words, do you believe that she's sinful by nature? Uh, Also, do you believe that the Bible is God's uh, plan of salvation and his inspired word? And lastly, uh, Valen Allen, do you promise to do everything that you can so that as Olivia grows up, she never knows herself apart from God's loving family. What's your answer? We do. God help 
blessing us. Amen. And uh, friends and family, guests who are here as well, they, uh, they cannot do this alone, and they're going to need all the help that they can get, as we all do. Um, so I invite you to respond in that same way we do God helping us when I ask, uh, do you promise to do everything that you can so that Olivia grows up always knowing herself as a part of God's loving and gracious family? What's your answer? We do. God helping us. Amen. All right, if you could lean her down just a little bit more, you bet. And Olivia Grace Musk, I baptize you in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, God, we are silenced before your immense love that you have demonstrated. Uh, demonstrated now to this little one, Olivia. As you've said, Jesus Christ, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Lord, more than that, you are pursuing, chasing after all of us. And as we now see you claim her to be in your family, God, we're humbled at the sight of what your grace looks like. Lord, we thank you for involving us in this experience. We thank you for giving Olivia such wonderful parents like Val and Alan. But Lord, we know that they too are fallen as we all are. And so even in those moments, especially in those moments, we lean so heavily on your grace, on your love. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Uh, as we said, um, as your church community, we want to, uh, to do everything that we can for you. And as the prayer goes, that we'll keep, continue to pray uh, more and more afterwards so that Olivia always knows herself as a part of God's family. Um, doing everything that we can, just a small token of uh, starting this journey together. I want to present you with a gift. It's just a board book at your baptism so that um, even soon, even at, at bedtimes, you can already start to tell her that she is a part of God's family, that he has reached down, that he has taken taken hold of her. And, uh, and friends and family, I want to invite to you one more time to welcome Olivia Grace Musk into the family of God. I think I make this joke every time, but every time it's true. That's a, that's a tough act to follow, right? <laughs> uh, let's move into a, a time of the, the message now. Gracious God, uh, we ask, Lord, that that, um, that that visible image that we've just experienced together, that we've seen you claim one more life to be in your family. God, we ask that at some level that permeates whatever walls that we put up so that uh, this week, Lord, even right now, you can break down whatever walls that we put up and claim us uh, again, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, as members of your family, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. These are holy moments. I mean, there's no doubt about that, right? I mean, she didn't even cry <laughs> during baptism, and the water's not warm. It's a holy moment. A holy moments every time we baptize, every time we celebrate, like we said, God claiming one more life to be in his loving and gracious family. Holy moment. 
Here at Encounter Church, it's holy moments every time we go before the Lord's table. We rip off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice, hearing the words, the body and blood of Lord Jesus Christ broken and shed for you. It's holy moments. Holy moments, you know, it just, it, it seems like God is so uniquely, maybe even extra close to us in holy moments. Baptism, Lord's Supper. Holy moments happen when we come together, when we sing with a full house like this, hundreds of voices lifted up before uh, the throne of God, just declaring, declaring honor and praise is his, joining together as one community, even as a family. Holy moments, it's times like this when it, it seems like God is, is extra close. Like we know God is with us all the time, but it, it's in those holy moments that God is maybe especially close. You know, holy moments happen, I think, just all the time, not just during baptism, the Lord's Supper, during corporate worship together. Holy moments anytime that Jesus says, hey, hey, there are some times, and I just want to point out, I am especially close to you. Uh, we've got a number of guests with us this morning, and so just to catch us up to, to pace, we're working through a series right now called The Misused Bible. And it's just a, it's a series that explores all the different ways that we can maybe misunderstand or misapply the most popular Bible passages uh, these days and, and maybe even lose out to what God is actually intending to say over what we, what we think that he's saying. And so we've taken a look at uh, back in Jeremiah 21 where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And in Jeremiah 29, 10, he says, 70 years you're going to be in exile. If you can hear these words, if you can understand these words, you're not getting out. It it changes the meaning. God is still present there, but but there's a a twist, right? Uh, Last week, uh, taking those words, about money and about finances, about contentment, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And we took a look at what those, what those words from Timothy actually do say. Now this week we look at these holy moments, these times in life when, when God says he's especially close, when Jesus says in the book of Matthew, you know, for wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Holy moments. Now, it conjures to mind like a small group meeting, uh, something like a, a Bible study getting together, you know? <laughs> One author, a, a scholarly author who, uh, who wrote a number of, of commentaries on this passage, he, he just comments, and again, it breaks the really like scholarly vibe, and he goes, and I think Jesus says uh, for where two or three are gathered uh, because well, that, that's typically all who shows up to prayer meetings is two or three. And so God wants to give you just a little bit more encouragement to say, you know what? Even if it's just two, I'm there. It doesn't take a full house to make a holy moment. It's just two, maybe three. I think we, we love the idea of that, that it doesn't, take, it doesn't take a massive effort for God to show up, for Jesus to be here. Uh, pastors love verses like this as well. So you, you hear it, even from me, uh, perpetuated time and time again, because at some level we know God is always with us everywhere that we go. There's no way, as the psalmist says, that we can escape him. He's up high, he's down low, he's everywhere. So it, it's true. And so passage like the one behind me that says, hey, two or three are gathered in my name. Yeah, I'm there. I can recall not too long ago, only maybe three, four years ago, when uh, 
when Encounter was small enough to, to meet in my living room. You know, and I had to like, deal with these questions uh, all the time to say, like, oh, what do you do? I'm a, I'm a pastor, which comes with, with its own awkward silence after that. But <laughs> going on, okay, well, you know, where is your church? Well, we, we don't have uh, location specific yet. Oh, okay. Um, well, when are your services? Well, we don't quite do that either. <laughs> and so it's like... Are you sure that, that you're a pastor without a church or services? Passages like this you know, kept reminding me, hey, two or three is all it takes for God to show up. We've got like five or six. We're crushing it. <laughs> the problem is that's not what it means. I think God is there. I mean, get that straight. As we heard from the psalmist earlier, God is present. It's just that when he, he says these words in the book of Matthew, when Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. I don't think he's thinking about the prayer meeting. I don't think he's, he's thinking about a fledgling church just trying to maybe get off the ground. I don't think he's thinking about uh, a two or three before uh, a baptismal uh, bowl. I don't think he's thinking about the Lord's Supper in a church community like this. I think God is in all of those places. That's just not just what Jesus is talking about here. If you're to take these words, two or three gathered, and maybe just do a quick Google search, figure out the verse, you find uh, the verse, uh, red letters, words of Jesus, they come to us in the book of Matthew 18, verse 20. If you're just to look at uh, that verse, this is one of them, isolated, you can see that in a lot of Bibles, and uh, mine included, you can see that all of the words, the verses, they're put in these sections, right? It's like the editors of the Bible, this one is an NIV, says, well, just to make it a little bit easier, this is what Jesus says about, you know, murder, about adultery, about divorce, about oaths, about loving enemies, right? It's just these subcategories that the uh, editors kind of just make it a little bit easier. If you were to go into Matthew 18, this verse, and you just look at the, the heading over this passage, you can see what they chose to caption it is, dealing with sin in the church, and suddenly it's like, well, hang on. Uh, I, I'm not sure I love this passage anymore. Jesus isn't talking about a prayer meeting where two or three people show up. No, no, God is there. But here, Jesus wants to tell us, you know what? There is something going on in not just a lot of churches. There is something going on in every church, so many, in fact, that I want to take special time in my ministry of Jesus to say, this has to be rooted out. Otherwise, there's some, there's some devastating consequences. Dealing with sin in the church, I just, like, all of a sudden, all these questions start, like, flooding to mind. He got questions like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jesus, um, I, why would I want to do that in the first place? <laughs> How would I even do that? And, and overall, like, what is the point after all this anyway? Why shouldn't I just let it go. We're going to hit those questions, and as we do so, I'd like us to, uh, hopefully if you picked up a trend in this series, read it in the context for what it was written. And we'll do it um, a bit by bit, sort of building the case. So I invite you to follow along in the front of your uh, flow sheets. Also on the screen behind me is uh, Matthew 18, and first verse, and verse 15. It says, For if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, 
you've won them over. Uh, we'll kind of go through and just make a couple of uh, points of clarification and then maybe a value statement that comes out of this. First, point of clarification. We've got this statement that says, if your brother or sister sins. Uh, I just want to point out that Jesus does not say, hey, you know what? If anybody sins against you, you know, no matter what, if there's a sin involved, <laughs> you ought to go and confront that person. I think it's interesting to me that Jesus chooses the word, by the way, it's a, a generic word for sibling, and then you can either use the masculine or the feminine to denote uh, boy or girl, brother or sister. And, uh, and sometimes you may be here like, I kind of remember this as just brother, and now we have a sister added in. Well, whenever you're using the masculine brother, that's, a, that's what you do to describe like everybody in the room right now who might be brothers or sisters. So brothers, sisters, a clarification, not super important. But uh, what I think is important is that this word for sibling, it sort of levels the playing field of everybody across the board. I don't think Jesus means this uh, literally. We're just talking about your own nuclear family. I think he means this as, you know, if you're in a relationship that is uh, somewhat equal with another person, you ought to go confront somebody about, about the sin, about the wrongdoing that's going on. I don't think he's talking about, you know, if there's a, a, a situation of a, abuse or assault, you know, you gotta, you gotta track that person down all on your own. You know, forget about bringing in the authorities. You gotta confront them. No, no, no. He's talking about a brother or sister, right? So this relationship uh, marked by equality. And the next thing is this wrongdoing that's involved, You know why the box is, uh, the box is black, don't you? Because <laughs> when something goes south in a relationship, it gets tucked away, filed inside of the box, <laughs> filed away in the dark corridors of our heart to be forgotten again. I'm going to go out on an assumption, out on a limb here, and say that I don't think you're that much different than me. Because when there's some kind of wrongdoing or there's some sin, I either get angry or I get passive. And if I get passive, I take whatever that is, I tuck it in the box, close it up, try to forget about it. I try to rationalize all kinds of the different ways about maybe why I shouldn't go to that person, why it would be a difficult conversation, why in all of the situations and all of the scenarios that could be holy moments, why this is not one of them. And as another point of clarification, Jesus says, go, go. Talk to the person. When he says go, it's not a suggestion. It's not a list of possibilities. Jesus says, listen, you don't have a right to go and confront your brother who sins. No, no. You have a responsibility to go to him. And what this looks like with the box is to say, listen, something happened. I want you to look inside of this box with me. Why? <laughs> Why would I ever want to do that? A couple of guys maybe out here in the lobby talking after church one time. You know, maybe one guy says to the other, uh, you know, what are you, what are you doing you know, these days? Like, what keeps you busy? He's like, well, actually... I'm planning on redoing my basement. It's, it's a huge job, but I've been thinking about this for a long time. He goes, no kidding. I've been thinking about doing the same thing. You know, I got an idea. 
how about instead of both of us doing these jobs individually on our own, how about we come together? And you can come on over to my house. We can work on this thing for a while. When we finish, you can kind of, we'll go both go over to your house and work on that one for a little while. I mean, isn't, isn't it going to be so much easier to do it with two than one? You've got a point. And so it's a project he goes over that doesn't take just a day or so. I mean, it takes all weekend. There's taking Thursday and Friday off involved. Finally, it's more or less finished. And he goes, all right. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm sore. <laughs> I'm just like utterly flat out, dirty, exhausted, done with this. And I got to see the results in my neighbor's house. Now it's time for you to come on over. Next weekend rolls around. You're going to get an early start because it's a big project, just like before. Seven o'clock turns into eight, turns into nine, turns into noon. It's pretty clear he's not showing up. Phone calls, texts, nothing gets returned. Listen, we had a deal. I gave you like three, four days on your project, and now you, stay, you stood me up on the first day of this new project. Jesus says, listen, if this is a brother of yours, particularly if it's in the church. You don't have a right to go after that person and say, you know what? I just, I just want to show you what's in the black box of my heart right now. Jesus says, you have a responsibility to go there. Open up the box and say, listen, man, You hurt me, and this is what it feels like. This is how it hurts. It's a command. I said we've got some points of clarification. We've got some value statements that come out of this. I think the value uh, that Jesus has, if you're taking notes or if you're the type you can just remember or write down, just the word holiness in the margin of verse 15. I say holiness because, because sin, because this wrongdoing, whatever goes into the black boxes of our hearts, I think it, it wrecks the holiness that we have. And I don't care. I don't care nearly as much as I, I guess I'm supposed to. I don't think you care nearly as much as you're supposed to. But for whatever reason, God cares. And call it arbitrary, call it whatever. But for some reason, God cares so much more than we do about what's in the holiness, what's in the black boxes of our hearts, particularly the things that detract from the holiness that God wants for us. He cares. I think he he cares for a couple reasons. First of all, I think God has this bird's eye view, we'll say, God's eye view over everything, over all of time. He he knows us better than we know ourselves. And so I think God looks at these situations like these two guys and say, you know what? I've seen this before. I've I've seen it happen with basement renovations, with new decks. I've seen it happen with like huts built out of mud with additions put on. I've seen it built out of caves. Man, I have seen this happen so often. And you know what? What goes into the box has a way of getting out of the box. You want to put the top onto this thing and to file it away in the black corridors of your heart and forget about it. And I think God knows. Sin has a gotcha, and he doesn't want it to getcha. It'll come out. Hey, Ed knows a lot about this stuff. You know, he's a handy guy. Let's get him to come on over. <laughs> could be months, could be years. Let me tell you about Ed. 
He may be handy, totally unreliable. Doesn't matter what the situation was, it's going to come out. God cares a lot more about the holiness in the black boxes than we do. It's also this built-in accountability system. You know, you could be going to Ed today and say, dude, we got to look inside of this black box. Ed could be asking you a week or a month later and say, man, now we got to look into this black box. It's a way that in a community we have to hold each other accountable, to pursue God's sense of holiness in our lives. A value statement number one that I think Jesus has coming out of this is just God cares. He cares about our holiness much more than we do. And here's the thing. There's a good chance that when you go to him and you say, we got to look inside of this box together, there's a chance that he's going to look in here and go, I am so sorry. I mean, it was a phone call, death in the family. I was just in emergency mode. I, I got a plane ticket. I was gone in like an hour. I, I didn't call and I should have. Let me, let me make this up to you. There's a good chance that can happen. If, he, um, if they listen to you, you have won them over. End of verse 15. Starting at verse 16, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along. So that, and then there's, uh, there's uh, quotations here, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three uh, witnesses. There's a good chance, he, I mean, he's going to totally come around to this, and there's a chance he doesn't. I, I want you to look into this box with me and just tell me what you see. He says, I don't see anything. I, I mean, just think about how the, the weekends went. So, what's the big deal? He says, uh, if that happens, and there's just like one, he, he, he keeps on it, which I find very peculiar. But, but hang on to that for a second. Jesus keeps on it. He says, no, no, no. You, you don't get to let this go yet. If that happens, go get two or three other people. Bring them in and, and open up the box. And, and maybe if they're objective, you can all look into it together. Hopefully there's some clarification that comes and, and maybe even a possibility for him to win you over. You can see that this is in uh, quotes. Every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is uh, Old Testament Hebrew law that he's bringing in here. And he's like, taking the law and now he's applying it to individual personal relationships in the church. And he's saying this is wise in any community. This is especially wise here. Notice he says two or three. I mean, in just a second, the circle's going to get uh, even wider. But what we can see so far is to say, first of all, there's just, and when there's just you, there's just you and one other person. And after that, there's maybe you, one other person, Ed, the guy who harmed you or, or wronged you, uh, and then one other or two others. So you got like three or four now looking into this box. And after this, he says, listen, uh, in the church, the greater church community, continue to bring more in. Again, don't let this go. I don't think this is... Um, I don't think this is Jesus saying, like, listen, uh, you go to him, and then you go to two others, and, and then you post that sucker on Facebook and let everybody know and tag the church so we can get even more people involved. No, no, no. I think what Jesus is talking about here, he's using, uh, he's using his language just to say, like, listen, there's got to be a tight circle around this, and then make the circle a little wider, not any more wider than it has to be. And, and like, keep, don't let it go. Keep pursuing this and, and make it a little wider, a little while. Always, and this is value number two, always using as few people as you possibly can. 
Because as we heard, God cares about holiness. I think he also cares about discretion. Oh, forget about Ed for just a moment. And he forgot my birthday again. I mean, how many times? How long have we been together? And this just keeps happening over and over and over a minute. I just, I want to offer up. If you're in a relationship and there is some harm that has been done in that relationship, there is not just a right, but a responsibility to say, listen, the first time you open this box, because discretion is a value, the first time this box opens, there should just be two of you in the room. If you absolutely need to, you get uh, two or three others, maximum of four people in the room to look in this box together. I think God values discretion so much there's a good chance that there was not even any wrongdoing happening in the first place. The objective person comes on and says, no, that, that's not the case at all. There was just a misunderstanding. It, it, was, uh, it was inconvenient. It wasn't wrong. It wasn't a sin. There's a difference there. Second thing, I think he values discretion because when, when that offense happens and he forgets the birthday, and the texts just start like flying randomly, right? I mean, just uh, anybody who will listen. And the uh, Facebook posts, and you just get all kinds of social media involved. If too many people look, at, look into this box when it first opens, he, I think he knows that sometimes things can get blown out of proportion. It doesn't matter with him. I mean, maybe he surprises her. I'd like to think so later that night, but maybe he doesn't. Maybe time goes by. You know, and that like, friend who receives some of the text in the heat of the moment says, I can't believe that pig. I mean, you should just, like dump him, get rid of him. And you go, you know, he's, he's not that bad. I mean, where's this coming from? Here's the thing. I got over it. Or maybe I finally talked to him. Maybe we did the first step. Not first, but I mean, eventually we got around to the first step. Talked it out. I've come back for this. Because they care about you, they haven't. They still hate them. I think he values discretion because he knows however many people find out about what's in this box, we just have that much more work to do, that much more circles to go around, that much more conversations to have. So just do yourselves a favor, do all of us a favor. First, first time that box comes open, there should just be two, then maybe two or three more people. Now, there's a chance that's going to work. Not just hearing from one, but hearing from maybe two or three other people as witnesses who come along and to say, listen, you, you are out of line here. There's a chance that works. There's a chance, Jesus goes, that no matter how many people get involved, there is never going to be some, he's never going to come back from this. And then what? Skip to the widest circle now and say, listen, so many friends, family, they have all urged, pleaded, please come back. And he doesn't. Now what do we do? Verse 17, and let's just finish it off. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Uh, truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven again. I tell you, truly, I tell you, 
that if two of you on earth agree about anything, they ask for it, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And then our verse, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And not about prayer circles, not about corporate worship or baptism. But they're opening the box. He says, I am with them. What do you do? What do you do if, if you just can't win them over, no matter how hard you try? Jesus says, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. And I love how he makes the distinction, right? Because pagans were the people, you know, they're not like us. They don't have it all together, you know, that... So we have to, you know, pursue them and try to win them over, right? But then there's tax collectors. And he goes out of his way to just say, you know, there's pagans. And then there's tax collectors, which are like this new kind of love. This is state-sponsored extortion. I mean, you weren't just immoral chasing a quick buck. You were a traitor to the people, to the clan, to the nation of Israel. That's how low we think of you. And he goes, if there is absolutely no winning them over... If the box is open and no matter how many people we get to all look in this together, it's like, ah, I'm sorry, no way. Go ahead and treat them like a tax collector or a pagan. In other words, just totally write them off. Just close the doors, shut the curtains, just shun, ignore them completely because that's what Jesus did with pagans and tax collectors. You know, the person writing this, Matthew, He's so hard on the tax collectors because it wasn't very long ago he was one. And he knows. He knows that when Jesus is saying, listen, treat somebody like a tax collector, he knows what that meant. Because as a tax collector, he was treated like one by Jesus. And that meant Jesus following after him. That meant Jesus looking into him and saying, Matthew, come follow me, which is rabbi speak to say, Matthew, there's something inside of you that God can work with. Matthew, you are not beyond redemption here. Matthew, I think you can do what I do. And Matthew, I want to throw a party at your house. And invite all of the friends, even the ones, no, no, especially the ones you think I'm going to hate because I want to show them too how much I care. If you do everything that you can to win somebody back, to win somebody over, and it's just still not enough, he goes, listen, then go in the most extreme case, put them in the category of somebody who just needs to hear this message of grace so desperately that they'll do like anything to win them over. Don't ever stop pursuing them. The third value is that when we open this box, this is not a weapon to bash somebody with. When we open this box, the goal, third value, is restoration. Is that when there's just the two of us, when there's maybe a couple more people, no matter how many people involved, the goal is always reconciling a relationship. Something went bad between you and I. I want to fix that. There's a wedge between us. I want to take that down. We're building up walls. We need to ask God to help us break them down again. 
I think God cares so much about this reconciliation, especially in the church. Because it's so close to his heart. Paul says in Corinthians that that Jesus engaged in the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling everything, people and creation alike, to himself, making it right again. And so if it sounds if it sounds weird, why would I want to go do this? I mean, at some point, you just got to give up, right? And God's like, Jesus says, no, no, no. If one person doesn't work, bring two, then bring three, then bring some more people in, then do whatever it takes. In extreme situations, treat them like a tax collector and pursuing them doubly more. It's because he values and he pursues us so desperately, so relentlessly because he cares about reconciliation so much. He cares about restoring us fully into a community, making things right. He cares so much that he would do anything he could, whatever it takes, even his life on a cross, to make things right. So no, whatever's in your box, you don't have a right to make it right with somebody else. We have the, respon- the God-given responsibility to pursue them to make it right, just like God did with us. This is what baptism is about. God's pursuit over us, even from the very, very start. This is what God is doing for all of us, and he asks us to engage in the mission with him. Uh, I just want to end with a, a quick um, uh, image is that it was a St. Patrick's Day uh, last week, Monday, and so maybe in that spirit, there still kind of lingers this question of the risk involved. Like when I open up the box to show how somebody hurt me, I'm exposing a part of my heart that I, I care, maybe I'd, more than I'd like them to know that I care. And I think that not only, not only are we disobedient when we refuse to open the box and invite somebody to look, I think we miss out on something. I think we miss out on an opportunity. Uh, late uh, 15th century, so uh, end of the 1400s, uh, there's uh, two families, uh, the Ormonds and the, the Killers. I'm terrible with these uh, like Irish, Irish names, but anyway, there are two families that were at war with each other and you know, if pretty much forever have been. And they're always kind of chasing each other, taking pot shots against each other. At one point, the Kildare family decided, I'm going to end the Ormond family completely, like once and for all. And so he goes on this mission and takes the clan with him. They chase them through woods, through swamps, through, finally gets them uh, held up in St. Patrick's Cathedral. The year is 1492. Um, a familiar one, I know, but uh, they get them uh, all hold up, held up in this uh, St. Patrick's uh, Cathedral. And they're just pounding on the door, just trying to get in. But the walls are extremely thick. The Ormond family is inside, and they're wondering, you know, what they're going to do. They've got complete out of options. Something happens in the, the, the Kildare patriarch, and he decides, what are we doing? I mean, we are trying to knock down the walls of a cathedral so that I can wipe this family off from the earth probably inside of the cathedral. What are we doing? And so instead of trying to knock down the entire wall, 
He takes a spear and he, he pushes a hole or he opens up a, a rectangular hole in the gate. I have a picture here. It still is hanging in a museum uh, to this day. And there's just this rectangular hole in one of the doors of the cathedral. And the patriarch of the Kildare family reaches his arm through and he says, I'm sorry. Listen, I don't want to end this way. And he waits. He knows. I can't, I'm not putting my head, I'm putting my arm through. I don't know what's on the other side of that wall. Huge risk to himself, to great, risking great bodily harm, but he takes a chance. Pause. The patriarch Ormond grabs his hand back and says, okay, I trust you. And they buried the feud. I think it's participating in the mission of God. I think this, though great risk, I think this is obedient. I also think it's a holy moment. That holy moments happen not just in the great highs, on the mountaintop experiences, on the best parts of this week, but I think they happen in the valleys, in the lows, in the worst, in the hardest conversations you have to have this week that you're just dreading going to the office tomorrow or going to the thing on Wednesday or whatever it is, saying, I just, I don't want to see her or see him. Opening up this box, it isn't just obedient. There's potential for, as Jesus says, to be really present. I, when this box opens and that holy moment happens, Jesus says, there, in that reconciliation, there I am. I don't want you to miss it. Miss him. I invite you to stand up and let's pray together. Our creator God who made us and knows us and Lord is aware of our pasts. God, we uh, ask you this week, the one who knows us so well, knows our past and our futures, to break into our weeks, to tear down the walls, to give us the courage to look at what's inside the dark corridors of our heart and to shed your light on it, Lord, so that by your grace and your love and your pursuit over us, making us your own, we can share that. Lord, even with the people we don't know, even with the people we don't like. God, thank you for chasing after us, for chasing after Olivia. God, for making us your mission and even dying. In your name we pray, amen.